It's Friday, the 10th of September, 2021. Welcome to Fear and Greed, the business podcast that sets you up for a successful day. I'm Sean Aylmer. New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian outlines the reopening of the state economy from mid next month. That's our main story. Also coming up in today's podcast, Crown Resorts rewards outgoing senior managers despite the horror run for the gaming giant, Treasury Wine Estates to go fully green within three years, and crisis, what crisis? Western Australia records a record budget surplus. Then stay listening for my chat to Washington correspondent Matthew Knott about the State of the Union 20 years after 9-11. But first, here's a brief look at markets. Wall Street was lower again overnight. Fewer Americans applied for unemployment benefits last week. That's good news. But it also adds to the argument, slightly, that the US Federal Reserve could taper their bond-buying purchases sometime soon. And that was enough to scare investors. In early afternoon trading, the tech-heavy Nasdaq was 0.2% lower, the S&P 500 was down 0.3%, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average was off 0.4%. The European Central Bank said it would slow its emergency support, though it will keep policy accommodative. Both growth and inflation have picked up in the region in the recent months. The stock's Europe 600 closed down slightly overnight. London's FTSE, though, was sold off, finishing 1% lower on concerns of a slowing economy. The S&P ASX 200 closed down almost 2% yesterday to 7,370 points. All 11 subsectors of the index were lower. That's unusual and what you call a broad-based sell-off. The Information Technology Index was down 3.2%, while the financials, energy, materials, industrials and telecommunications indices were all off more than 2%. There were only four of the top 50 stocks to make gains yesterday. ResMed, which was up 1.8%, was the best of the top 200. The other three were Fisher & Paykel Healthcare, MCOR and Dexas. Oil prices were lower overnight, falling more than 1.5% after China announced it will sell oil from its state petroleum reserves for the first time in an effort to rein in inflationary pressures. The price of gold was a touch higher, though the precious metal is still trading below 1800 US dollars an ounce. The Aussie dollar is trading at 73.7 US cents, and there's been further falls in the price of iron ore, with the ton of the metal heading towards 130 US dollars. That's almost $100 lower than four months ago. And before we go on, just a quick message. We're told there's been a few delays affecting a whole stack of podcasts on the Apple platform globally. If you're one of the listeners who's been receiving this episode late, we're sorry for the inconvenience. We'll keep publishing it by 6am and hopefully those issues resolve themselves soon. Other platforms, including Spotify, aren't affected. New South Wales will reopen for fully vaccinated citizens in mid-October, the point at which 70% of the population is expected to be double-jabbed. Pubs, gyms, stadiums and homes will be opened up, travel within the state will be allowed and economic support will continue. The five-kilometre travel radius will be dropped. All staff at entertainment venues must be vaccinated as well. But Premier Gladys Berejiklian has warned that the reopening will come alongside a jump in COVID cases, mostly among the unvaccinated. New South Wales has been in lockdown for 11 weeks and it still has five to go, according to the new timetable. Currently, 43% of the state is fully vaccinated, while almost 76% have had the first dose. Ms Berejiklian's timetable was revealed on the day the state recorded 1,405 cases of COVID. There were five deaths. Outside Sydney, many restrictions will lift from this weekend, though state borders are likely to remain closed. 
Prime Minister Scott Morrison welcomed the announcement, saying it was in keeping with the national plan. That plan is about learning to live with COVID rather than sticking to a zero strategy. Business leaders have also welcomed the initiative and Canberra's decision to introduce a vaccine passport. National Australia Bank boss Ross McEwen applauded the passport but said greater clarity was needed on how it would work. He said a reopening based on vaccination status would boost the economy. Westpac boss Peter King said he was confident in the underlying strength of the economy and forecast a strong bounce back next year. Meanwhile, Victoria recorded 324 new locally acquired cases of COVID-19 yesterday, a new record in the current outbreak. The race is on in that state to get people vaccinated. As of yesterday, more than 63% of eligible Victorians had had one dose. The ACT recorded 15 new cases yesterday. The move out of lockdowns is welcome, but it's going to be bumpy. Musbury Jicklin has made it clear that if you're not vaccinated, you won't enjoy freedoms that everyone else has. And that's that. In a moment, the rest of the news you need to know this morning. In overseas news, Chinese regulators have called in gaming companies, including Tencent Holdings, and told them to de-emphasise profits, triggering a sharp sell-off. Beijing wants the gaming groups to break from the solitary focus of pursuing profit to prevent miners from being addicted to games, and they should also remove obscene and violent content. US President Joe Biden will force federal workers to get vaccinated, otherwise face rigorous testing and mask protocols. He's also likely to push that rule out to the executive branch, that's those in the White House, and contractors who do business with the federal government. Vaccination rates in the US have slowed in recent weeks. New Zealand recorded another 13 cases of COVID-19 in the community yesterday and Auckland remains under strict lockdown, whereas restrictions have lessened in other parts of the country. Prime Minister Jacinta Ardern announced that around 1.8 million vaccine doses will arrive from Spain later this month. Another country experiencing a surge is Singapore, even though its vaccination rate is 81%. The vast majority of cases are mild or asymptomatic. And Kim Jong-un the idiosyncratic leader of North Korea, has appeared in public for the first time in weeks, looking slimmer and tanned. There's been speculation about his health, given his family's history of heart disease. North Korea is facing one of its worst food shortages in years, hit by sanctions for its testing of nuclear weapons. Locally, Crown Resorts paid nearly $24 million to outgoing executives last financial year a year in which its application for a licence in New South Wales was knocked back, royal commissions in Victoria and Western Australia were announced, and lockdowns triggered a $261 million loss. Several senior executives left or were forced out of the business, and some were handsomely rewarded. The Gaming Group's annual report, released yesterday, shows that Ken Barton, the former chief executive of whom the New South Wales Bergen Inquiry said wasn't up to the job, received $6.3 million dollars including a $3.5 million termination payment. He was what Crown called a good lever. Former Executive Chair John Alexander, who stepped down in January, received $2.5 million, while the Australian Resort CEO Barry Felstead received $4.7 million, including a $2.3 million termination benefit. They too were good levers. I mean, imagine what a bad lever must have done. It's pretty obscene for shareholders. On top of that, Crown's auditor said there is a material uncertainty and significant doubt over whether the casino can continue as a going concern, which isn't surprising given the licence issues. 
Crown's share price finished down 1.7% yesterday and is off 26% since the middle of May. Amid the COVID crisis, Western Australia has managed to record a $5.6 billion budget surplus thanks to the commodities boom, something Premier Mark McGowan said other premiers will be wild angry about. The biggest surplus ever has allowed Mr McGowan to spend more on health, education, police and dumping a public sector wage freeze. Mr McGowan yesterday said his strategy of crunching the virus had worked and the state's economy was firing. It's grown by 5.7% since the start of the pandemic. He said unlocking the Western Australian border would only happen once 80 to 90% vaccination rates were achieved. You know what's worse than a bad loser? A bad winner. Woolworths said it would launch rapid antigen testing at all its distribution outlets and online fulfilment centres across the country after a pilot program in Sydney picked up seven positive COVID-19 cases. The company has already had more than 500 supply chain staff forced into isolation, disrupting food and grocery supplies. If the seven cases picked up had gone to work, it's likely dozens and possibly hundreds of co-workers could have been infected. Along with the other supermarket chains, Woolworths is struggling to keep its shelves stacked, and the antigen testing will help. The Chinese government has taken the unusual step of writing to a parliamentary inquiry arguing why it should be allowed to join the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal, emphasising that Australia remained an important economic partner, according to a report in the Financial Review. The partnership is worth $31 billion annually to Australia, and China says its inclusion would push that to closer to $50 billion, notwithstanding Beijing has recently targeted more than $20 billion of Australian exports. The partnership already includes Australia, Canada, Japan, Mexico, New Zealand, Singapore, Vietnam, Brunei, Chile, Peru and Malaysia. The competition watchdog has approved the merger of three domestic payment schemes, FPOS, BPAY and the real-time payment system known as the NPP. The new company, known as Australian Payments Plus, should generate more competition in the payment system, just as the big technology companies, Apple and Google, step up their efforts in the market. MasterCard and Visa are also major players. The big four banks and retailers Coles and Woolworths are all owners of the new venture. The Federal Coalition pressured the United Kingdom government into removing climate change targets for a post-Brexit trade deal negotiated between the two countries, according to media reports. Prime Minister Scott Morrison said it wasn't a climate agreement, but a trade deal. So far, Australia has resisted mounting pressure to commit to net zero carbon emissions by 2050, but is coming under international pressure to do so ahead of the COP Climate Summit in Glasgow in November. Treasury Wine Estate said all its winery operations around the world will be powered by renewable energy by 2024. The owner of Penfolds has almost 13,000 hectares of vineyards globally and is relying heavily on the use of solar power. Treasury also said it was joining the RE100 push where hundreds of companies worldwide are signing up to accelerate a shift to cleaner energy. Its share price finished down 1.1% yesterday. Staying in the alcohol sector, beer group Line has acquired the Fermentum Group, which owns the Byron Bay Craft beer brand Stone and Wood and Melbourne's Two Birds Brewing, for more than $500 million, according to media reports. Fermentum had considered listing on the ASX, but went the sale option. Line has steadily been growing its craft beer business and now owns brands including Little Creatures, White Rabbit, Kosciuszko and Malt Shovel. More than 3,500 people have been evacuated from Afghanistan to Australia over the past month. 
with the last having now transferred from the United Arab Emirates. About 60% of the new arrivals are women and children, the Prime Minister said yesterday. He also thanked the Australian Defence Force for their efforts. And finally, payroll jobs fell by 0.7% during the fortnight to 14 August, according to the Bureau of Statistics. It followed a big drop the previous fortnight, with losses concentrated in New South Wales and Queensland. The good news, if you live in South Australia, is that payroll jobs rose in that state up 1.5%. Up next is the daily interview and something a bit different today. Tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of the September 11 terror attacks, without doubt one of the most significant events in modern history. My guest is Matthew Knott, the US correspondent for The Age and Sydney Morning Herald. We talk about the long-term impact of the attacks, including the war in Afghanistan, and the change in the way the US now deals with the rest of the world. Matthew is based in Washington and has a fascinating view of American politics, including whether anything can heal the rifts that have opened up right across the country. That's up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. It's Friday, the 10th of September, 2021. I'm Sean Aylmer and that was Fear and Greed. Enjoy your day.